Chapter Fifty One of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter Fifty One. It was one of those days which do sometimes occur in March warm and balmy, and enlivening as spring always is. The birds were busy among the leafless boughs, and if the carriage stopped for a moment, the gushing song of the skylark attracted the eye to his blue ethereal bower. A joyous welcome was breathed by nature to every heart, and none answered it so fervently as Faulkner. Sentiments of pleasure possessed all three travellers, mrs raby experienced that exultation natural to all human beings when performing a generous action elizabeth felt that in going to belforest she drew nearer neville for there was no reason why he should not enter her grandfather's doors but falkner was happier than either it was not the vulgar joy of having escaped danger Partly it was gladness to see Elizabeth restored to her family, where only as things were she could find happiness, and yet not divided from him. Partly it arose from the relief he felt as the burden of heavy, long-endured care was lifted from his soul. But there was something more, which was incomprehensible even to himself. His bosom's lord sat lightly on its throne— he no longer turned a saddened, reproachful eye on nature, nor any more banished soft emotions, nourishing remorse as a duty. He was reconciled to himself and the world, the very circumstances of his prison and his trial being over, took with them the more galling portion of his retrospections. Health again filled his veins. At the moment when he had first accused himself, Neville saw in him a man about to die. It was evident now that the seeds of disease were destroyed. His person grew erect, his eye clear and animated. Elizabeth had never, since they left Greece, seen him so free from suffering. During all her intercourse with him, she never remembered him so bland and cheerful in his mood. It was the reward of much suffering, the gift of heaven to one who had endured patiently, opening his heart to the affections instead of cherishing pride and despair. It was the natural result of a noble disposition which could raise itself above even its own errors, throwing off former evil as alien to its nature, embracing good as its indefeasible right. They entered the majestic avenues and embowered glades of Belforest, where cedar, larch, and pine diversified the bare woods with a show of foliage. The turf was covered with early flowers. The buds were green and bursting on the boughs. Faulkner remembered his visit the preceding summer. How little had he then foreseen impending events, and how far from his heart had then been the peace that at present so unaccountably possessed it. Then the wide demand and stately mansion had appeared the abode of gloom and bigotry. Now it was changed to a happy valley where love and cheerfulness reigned. Mrs. Raby was welcomed by her children, two elegant girls of fifteen and sixteen, and a spirited boy of twelve. They adored their mother, 
and saw in their new cousin an occasion for rejoicing. Their sparkling looks and gay voices dispelled the last remnant of melancholy from the venerable mansion. Old Oswe Rabbi himself, too much sunk in dotage to understand what was going on, yet smiled and looked glad on the merry faces about him. He could not exactly make out who Elizabeth was. He was sure that it was a relation, and he treated her with an obsequious respect, which, considering his former impertinent tone, was exceedingly amusing. What was wanting to complete the universal happiness? Elizabeth's spirits rose to unwanted gaiety in the society of her young relations, and her cousin Edwin in particular found her the most delightful companion in the world, for she was as fearless on horseback as himself, and was unwearied in amusing him by accounts of the foreign countries she had seen, and adventures, ridiculous or fearful, that she had encountered. In Mrs. Raby she found a beloved friend for serious hours, and Faulkner's recovered health and spirits were a source of exhaustless congratulation. Yet where was Gerard Neville? Where the looks of love and rapturous sense of sympathy, before which all the other joys of life fade into dimness? Love causes us to get more rid of our haunting identity, and to give ourselves more entirely away than any other emotion. It is the most complete, the most without veil or shadow, to mar its beauty. Every other human passion occupies but a distinct portion of our being. This assimilates with all, and turns the whole into bliss or misery. Elizabeth did not fear that Gerard would forget her. He had remembered through the dark hours gone by, and now his shadow walked with her beneath the avenues of Belforest, and the recollection of his love impregnated the balmy airs of spring with a sweetness unfelt before. Elizabeth had now leisure to love, and many an hour she spent in solitary yet blissful dreams, almost wondering that such happiness was to be found on earth. What a change, what a contrast between the death-girt prison of Carlisle and the love-adorned glades of her ancestral park! Not long ago the sky appeared to bend over one universe of tears and woe, and now in the midst a piece of heaven had dropped down upon earth, and she had entered the enchanted ground. Yet, as weeks sped on, some thoughts troubled her repose. Gerard neither came nor wrote. At length she got a letter from Lady Cecil, congratulating her on Faulkner's acquittal, and the kindness of her aunt. Her letter was amiable, yet it was constrained and Elizabeth, reading it again and again, and pondering on every expression, became aware that her friends felt less satisfaction than she did in the turn of fortune that placed her and Faulkner together under her paternal roof. She had believed that, as Elizabeth Raby, Neville would at once claim her, but she was forced to recollect that Faulkner was still at her side, and what intercourse could there be between him and his mother's destroyer? Thus anxiety and sadness penetrated poor Elizabeth's new-found paradise. She strove to appear the same, but she stole away when she could to meditate alone on her strange lot. It doubled her regret to think that Neville also was unhappy. She figured the struggles he underwent. 
She almost thought that, if he were happy, she could bear all. She remembered him as she last saw him, agitated and wretched. She alone, she felt sure, could calm, she alone minister happiness. And were they never more to meet? Faulkner, who watched Elizabeth with all the jealousy of excessive affection, soon perceived the change. At first her gaiety had been spontaneous, her step free, her voice and laugh the very echo of joy. Now the forced smile, the frequent abstraction, the eagerness with which she watched for opportunities to steal into solitude, while her attentions to him became even more sedulous and tender, as if she wished to prove how ready she was to make every sacrifice for his sake. All these appearances he saw, and his heart ached to think how the effects of his errors still spread poison over his own life and that of one so dear. He felt sure that Mrs. Raby shared his uneasiness. She and her niece were much less together than before. Elizabeth could not speak of the thoughts that occupied her, and she could not feign with her dear wise friend, whose eyes read her soul, and whose counsels or consolations she alike feared. Faulkner saw Mrs. Raby's regards fix anxiously on her young relative. He penetrated her thoughts, and again he was forced to abhor himself as the destroyer of the happiness of all who came within his sphere. It was evident that some communication must take place between some one of the individuals thus misplaced and wretched. Elizabeth alone was resigned, and therefore silent. Faulkner longed to act rather than to speak, to depart, to disappear forever. He also, therefore, brooded mutely over the state of things. Mrs. Raby, seeing the wretchedness that was creeping over the hearts of those whose happiness she most desired, was the first to enter on the subject. One day, being alone with Faulkner, she began, "'The more I see and admire my dearest niece,' she said, "'the greater I feel our obligation to be to you, Mr. Faulkner, for having made her what she is.' Her natural disposition is full of excellence, but it is the care and the education you bestowed which give her a character so high a tone. Had she come to us in her childhood, it is more than probable she would have been placed in a convent, and what nature, however perfect, but would be injured by the system that reigns in those places. To you we owe our fairest flower, and if gratitude could repay you, you would be repaid by mine. To prove it and to serve you must always be the most pleasing duty of my life. I should be much happier, said Faulkner, if I could regard my interference as you do. I fear I have injured irreparably, my beloved girl, and that, through me, she is suffering pangs which she is too good to acknowledge but which in the end may destroy her. Had I restored her to you, had she been brought up here, she and Gerard Neville would not now be separated. But they might never have met, replied Mrs. Raby. It is indeed vain thus to regard the past. Not only is it unalterable, but each link of the chain, producing the one that followed, seems, in our instance, to have been formed and riveted by a superior power for peculiar purposes. The whole order of events is inscrutable. 
one little change and none of us would be as we are now except as a lesson or a warning we ought not to contemplate the past but the future certainly demands our attention it is impossible to see gerard neville and not to feel an intense interest in him he is worthy of our elizabeth and he is ardently attached to her and has besides made a deep impression on her young heart which i would not have erased or lessened for i am sure that her happiness as far as mortals can be happy will be ensured by their marriage i stand in the way of this union of that i am well aware said falkner but be assured i will not continue to be an obstacle to the welfare of my angel girl it is for this that i would consult you how are contradictions to be reconciled or rather how can we contrive my absence so as to remove every impediment and yet not to awaken elizabeth's suspicions i dislike contrivances replied mrs raby and i hate all mystery suffer me therefore to speak frankly to you i have often conversed with elizabeth she is firm not to marry so as to be wholly divided from you she reasons calmly but she never wavers she will not she says commence new duties by in the first place betraying her old ones she should be forever miserable if she did and therefore those who love her must not ask it sir gerard entertains similar sentiments with regard to himself though less resolute and i believe less just than hers i received a letter from him this morning i was pondering whether to show it to you or to my niece it seems to me best that you should read it, if it will not annoy you. Give it me, said Faulkner, and permit me also to answer it. It is not in my nature to dally with evils. I shall meet those that now present themselves, and bring the best remedy I can, at whatever cost. Neville's letter was that of a man whose wishes were at war with his principles, and yet who was not convinced of the justice of the application of those principles. It began by deeply regretting the estrangement of Elizabeth from his family, by asking Mrs. Raby if she thought that she could not be induced to pay another visit to Lady Cecil. He said that that lady was eager to see her, and only delayed asking her till she ascertained whether her friendship, which was warm and lively as ever, would prove as acceptable as formerly. I will at once be frank with you, the letter continued, for your excellent understanding may direct us, and will suggest excuses for our doubts. You may easily divine the cause of our perplexities, though you can scarcely comprehend the extreme painful nature of mine. Permit me to treat you as a friend. Be the judge of my cause. I have faith in the purity and uprightness of a woman's heart, when she is endowed with gifts such as you possess. I had once thought to refer myself to Miss Raby herself, but I dread the generous devotedness of her disposition." will you who love her take therefore the task of decision on yourself neville went on to express in few but forcible words his attachment to elizabeth his conviction that it could never change and his persuasion that she returned it it is not therefore my cause merely that i plead he said but hers also do not call me presumptuous for thus expressing myself a mutual attachment alone can justify extraordinary conduct, 
but where it is mutual every minor consideration ought to give way before it the happiness of both our lives depends upon our not trifling with feelings which i am sure can never change they may be the source of perpetual felicity if not they will they must be pregnant with misery to the end of our lives but why this sort of explanation when the meaning that i desire to convey is that if that as may i not say we love each other no earthly power shall deprive me of her sooner or later she must she shall be mine and meanwhile this continued separation is painful beyond my fortitude to bear can i take my mother's destroyer by the hand and live with him on terms of intimacy and friendship such is the price i must pay for elizabeth can i may i so far forget the world's censure and i may say the instigations of nature as unreservedly to forgive i will confess to you dear mrs raby that when i saw falkner in the most degraded situation in which a man can be placed manacled and as a felon his dignity of mane his majestic superiority to all the race of common mortals around the grandeur of his calm yet piercing eye and the sensibility of his voice won my admiration with such is people that heaven where the noble penitent is more welcome than the dull follower of a narrow code of morals who never erred because he never felt i pardon him then from my heart in my mother's name these sentiments the entire forgiveness of the injury done me and the sense of his merits still continue but may i act on them would not you despise me if i did say but that you would and my sentence is pronounced i lose elizabeth i quit england forever it matters little where i go yet before you decide consider that this man possesses virtues of the highest order he honoured as much as he loved my mother and if his act was criminal dearly has he paid the result i persuade myself that there is more real sympathy between me and my mother's childhood friend who loved her so long and truly whose very crime was a mad excess of love than one who knew nothing of her to whom her name conjures up no memories no regret i feel that i could lament with falkner the miserable catastrophe and yet not curse him for bringing it about nay as with such a man there can be no half sentiments i feel that if we are thrown together his noble qualities will win ardent sentiments of friendship were not his victim my mother there does not exist a man whose good opinion i should so eagerly seek and highly prize as that of rupert falkner it is that fatal name which forms the barrier between me and charity shutting me out at the same time from hope and love thus incoherently i put down my thoughts as they rise a tangled maze which i ask you to unravel i will endeavour to abide by your decision whatever it may be yet i again ask you to pause is elizabeth's happiness as deeply implicated as mine if it be can i abide by any sentence that shall condemn her to a wretchedness similar to that which has so long been an inmate of my struggling heart no sooner than inflict one pang on her i will fly from the world 
we three will seek some far obscure retreat and be happy despite the world's censure and even your condemnation Faulkner's heart swelled within him as he read he could not but admire neville's candour and he was touched by the feelings he expressed towards himself but pride was stronger than regret and prompted an instant and decisive reply he rebelled against the idea that gerard and elizabeth should suffer through him and thus he wrote you have appealed to mrs raby will you suffer me to answer that appeal and to decide i have a better right for kind as she is i have elizabeth's welfare yet more warmly at heart the affection that she feels for you will endure to the end of her life for her faithful heart is incapable of change on you therefore depends her happiness and you are called upon to make some sacrifice to ensure it come here take her at my hand it is all i ask from that hour you shall never see me more the injured and the injurer will separate my fortunes are of my own earning and i can bear them you must compensate to my dear child for my loss you must be father as well as husband and speak kindly of me to her or her heart will break we must be secret in our proceedings mystery and deception are contrary to my nature but i willingly adopt them for her sake mrs raby must not be trusted but you and i love elizabeth sufficiently even to sacrifice a portion of our integrity to secure her happiness for her own sake we must blindfold her she need never learn that we deceived her she will naturally be separated from me for a short time the period will be indefinitely prolonged till new duties arise wholly to wean her from me and i shall be forgotten come then at once endure the sight of the guilty falconer for a few short days till you thus earn his dearest treasure and do not fear that i shall intrude one moment longer than is absolutely necessary for our success be assured that when once elizabeth is irrevocably yours wide seas shall roll between us nor will your condescension to my wish bring any stigma on yourself or your bride for miss raby does not bear my tainted name all i ask is that you will not delay it is difficult for me to cloak my feelings to one so dear let my task of deception be abridged as much as possible i shall give my elizabeth to you with confidence and pleasure you deserve her your generous disposition will enable you to endure her affection for me and even her grief at my departure never speak unkindly of me to her when you see me no more you will find less difficulty in forgetting the injury i have done you you must endeavour to remember only the benefit you receive in gaining elizabeth End of chapter fifty one